the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. Live from Northern California, it's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. Oh, but like a good Ginsu knife commercial, he slices, he dices, and so much more. Good afternoon to you. Welcome to the Thursday edition of Lifeline for this 19th day of May. Trust you're having a good week so far and uh, a lot to talk about tonight. I say that every evening. That helps fill a couple of hours. Hopefully the content is uh, that which you can use to... uh, Deepen your understanding, your knowledge, broaden your horizons, and hopefully equip you um, in the whole matter of being a believer. And, uh, of course, ultimately looking at issues that impact your life, your world, and your Christian walk. Much to talk about tonight, so let's get down to cases. There has been a topic of discussion around the periphery. It happens at water coolers, perhaps over lunch from time to time. It's the issue of leadership. Whether we talk about challenges of finding quality leadership at the federal level, within government, the state level, within a corporation or even a smaller local company, leadership is vital. The problem is there's good leadership. And then, as we all have probably experienced, there's very bad leadership. But the big question is, when we talk about leaders, what exactly do we mean by that term? And are leaders, real leaders, born or are they bred? Is it a skill set that's gifted literally by God or can leadership skills be taught and learned? First and foremost, the big question is, when we say a leader, what exactly do we mean? Well, here today to offer some insights is real estate attorney, former international president of Toastmasters International, probably be far more golden-tongued than myself, and author of The Call of a Leader. And Michael Notaro, great to have you with us tonight. Well, thank you, Craig. It's a pleasure to be with you on your outstanding show. Lots to uh, to discuss here on this vital topic that, you know, ironically, Michael, many folks may not think about it in these terms, but in every true sense of the word, leaders the quality ones, and the bad ones. They all have ways in which they impact our lives at every level, whether we're talking about business leaders, political leaders, leaders in the church, whatever it might be, we all count on leaders, and we all have to live under either their good decisions or their bad ones. So let's begin with some basic definitions here to to maybe help sort of level the playing field by starting with some fundamental definitions. When we Talk about a leader. What exactly is a leader? Well, thank you, Craig. Uh, That is a great, great place to start, because a leader is somebody who has influence. And when I'm uh, training our leaders worldwide, what I say to them is, take a look behind you. 
Take a look behind you. See if there is somebody who is following you. Are your ideas significant? Are your visions big enough and inspiring enough? Are there people who are following you? If there are, you are a leader, like you said, Craig, whether good or bad. And that leader, maybe we should also define that that leader, sometimes I think people see that as, well, the leader's the boss. He's the guy that's making or the gal that's making all the decisions. And while, while to a great degree that may be true, but that's not always exclusively true, is it? That, that's exactly right, Craig. There's different types of leaders. There are relational leaders. There are positional leaders. I, I like to tell uh, new leaders that it, it's not the title that makes the leader. It's the leader that makes the title. Mm. And so you, you can use your, your title to serve people, to make a positive impact. Uh, you can also lead, I would say, some of the greatest leaders have been people who have led from behind from behind the back of the pack uh sometimes the people who are out in front are not always the people who are uh really influencing the people and, and you know that that leads to a question that sort of relates to my opening remarks and that is a fundamental question here we all know people perhaps in the course of our our work history or our involvement in, in, in ministry or being a part of a church that have seen leaders that we thought really uh, truly seemed to be a genuine in not just their calling, but in their execution. And there was demonstrative level of leadership skills and others that, well, quite frankly, failed on all of those points. But I guess that one of the core questions that I'm sure many people must wonder is, even as they think about leadership in the context of of whether or not they could be a leader, or if there is potential for that, if it's something that they really have the skill set for, and that is fundamentally this. When we talk about true leaders, individuals that are capable of providing direction and vision and motivation and, and people that are willing to get behind them and trust them, and we'll unpack a lot of those terms later on in our conversation tonight, but for a real leader, are we talking, Michael, about somebody who is fundamentally born with those skills or bred? In other words, is that a skill set that is gifted by God so that some people can be leaders and others will never have the chance of being a leader because they don't have the gift? Or are there degrees to which leadership skills can be taught and learned? (laughs) Well, thank you, Craig. That is the age-old question. Are leaders made or are they born? And the answer I like to give people having been around the world uh, leading and training leaders is both. It's both. The reality is, Craig, that all of us are talented by God with unique abilities, and all of us have unique talents and abilities. And those unique talents and abilities need to be nurtured. They need to be developed. That's why I wrote the book, The Call of the Leader, because each of us are called in a unique and a special way. And it may be that we're called to just be leaders in our family, just leaders among our friends. It might be that we're called to lead the nation or lead large groups of people. So leadership takes different shapes and characters. But, Craig, your uh, opening comments were so excellent about the discovery of, of people who step into leaders leadership and then they fail because they're stepping into leadership often for the wrong reason Mm. and i talk about that in in the book a lot there's a lot of people who are in leadership for the wrong reasons they're not listening 
for the call of the leader. All right, so that that that's a great setup. I don't want listeners to think we colluded in this ahead of time. We we certainly <laughs> did not. But that leads me ideally into the next question, and perhaps one of the most fundamentally important questions, Michael, is we we understand what leadership looks like, and and that is the fundamental question of what motivates a leader. There can be stories of people that are in it because they want power, they want prestige, they want the title. They're really, perhaps at the core, not really interested in making a mark, casting a vision, providing guidance, and and, and all that goes into what leadership means. But they like the sound of it. They want the title on the office door, the business card, and all of that. So I I would suppose at the core, and this is something that certainly would be a matter of self-examination for every leader and potential leader, along with all the followers out there, and that is to understand ultimately what motivates a leader. And and when we talk about motivation, what exactly does that look like? Well, excellent, Craig. You you are right on with with motivation being the key. And I and I'll I'll turn that around a little bit, Craig, because when I'm training leaders around the world, I'll often say to them, don't step into leadership if you don't genuinely feel moved by by what's involved with with the calling. So so what happens is that very often, and the pressures are different, people around the world, different cultures, but people will get pushed into leadership. People will uh, try and fulfill the expectations of their parents or their teachers or their coach, or they believe that they have to uh, move into leadership in a specific way. And when you do that, you're, you're on very dangerous ground, because I will tell you right now we have one of the most difficult worldwide climates to be a leader. But when I say that, I also say that in the midst of the darkness, the light can shine out. And so the need for leaders who are genuinely motivated by by the things inside them. And what I I, I do with leaders is we spend some time looking at what, what it is that really brings them joy. What is it that brings them fulfillment in the world? And, and how can that be translated into something that, that serves your fellow man in some shape or regard? So, Michael, toward that degree, then, when we see examples of uh, what I'll call, for want of a better term, dynastic leadership. Now, this could be an example of an individual who founds a church and serves that church for 20, 30, 40, 50 years. And then when their time to retire comes, they designate their eldest son to take over the church. Now, this may be an individual that may or may not have leadership skills, may not even aspire to leadership, but the role kind of fell to them like the individual who inherits dad's company. And suddenly they find themselves sort of by default in the leadership position. But more because of the dynastic nature that they kind of inherited that role as opposed to a genuine role based on pure calling and pure motivation. Is that, I know not always necessarily a warning sign. There have been some dynastic examples where the next generation carried on and was as good, if not sometimes better than the founder. But that isn't always the case. So do we see ourselves potentially in trouble when a person is elevated to leadership under those circumstances or because, as often happens, for example, in the in the nonprofit sector, well, nobody else wanted it. We have to have a chapter president, so I'm going to take it over. I really don't want it, but i got to take it. Talk to me about that. Well, Craig, you are absolutely correct. The One of the biggest issues that leaders neglect is the most important issue, and that is legacy. Mm. 
the true lasting value of a leader is seen in the men and women that, that move on after them. And the way I like to do it, Craig, is I tell, even when we're training leaders in whatever position, you need to be thinking about who your successor is. And I don't care what the position is. You need to be training. I mean, when I was president of Toastmasters International, we had a quarter of a million people around the globe that I had to, <laughs> I had to answer to. And I often said to them that, you know, stuff comes up in life. And sure, in a church, sometimes the leader has somebody who they want to pass it on to. But if, if the leader is really motivated in the correct way and thinks about the best interest of the people, they need to be thinking about who is the best legacy. Now, often, and here's the thing that happens, Craig, with organizations that grow and that evolve, it may be that that pastor who, who, who started the church and built it, that, that was the, great, the, the, the right person at that time. But now the church is different demographically, it's, it's different culturally, and a leader who might be very different than what the first leader is, is the right person. And it really takes a strong man or a strong woman to say, hey, I, I realize that maybe I'm even not the, the right leader at this point. Uh, what's the, the, the motivation always needs to be what's in the best interest of the body, of the people, of moving them forward, of making their lives richer, of giving them uh, a, a clearer vision of ministry and, and service. And, and that's always the question that needs to be asked, Craig. Boy, and this issue of legacy is one that um, it really takes some unpacking, because when you think of it, oftentimes it, we, we look at leadership in the context of what I'm doing now, how we're getting the team together, what we're accomplishing in, in whatever organization it be, could be business, could be private uh, sector, ministry, whatever. Um, we, we think about the here and now, but seldom, unless perhaps we're sort of at retirement age, and we start to think about le- legacy. And in my mind, legacy typically comes down to the guy who built it up, the guy who tore it down, or the guy that no one remembers. What kind of a leader are you? And are you thinking about not just how you're operating today, but how you're going to turn over that organization to the next leader, what kind of shape it will be in, how well-equipped will that individual be to carry on so that the legacy that you leave behind is one of the guy who built it up as opposed to either tore it down or handed the keys to someone who drove it off the cliff or, <laughs> sadly, the guy that oftentimes no one remembers. Attorney Michael Notaro with us today. He is the former international president of Toastmasters International. The book, The Call of the Leader, great insights, whether you're in ministry, business, whatever function, at whatever level, even if you're just simply, and most importantly, the leader in your home, what does that look like? We're going to continue our dialogue when we come back and look at what motivates or attracts followers to a leader, as our discussion with attorney Michael Notaro continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Attorney Michael Notaro, my guest today, he is the former international president of Toastmasters International and the author of The Call of the Leader. 
And, uh, Michael, as we sort of work our way through this topic, it, there's certainly another part of this equation that we've been silent on up until this point, and that is this notion that, well, it, it's one thing to declare oneself a leader. The business card may suggest that. But I would suspect at the end of the day, uh, there's a couple of things that are important in order to kind of bring that to, to reality or fruition. And that is, well, if you're going to be a leader, you have to have the authority necessary behind that. And I would suspect, too, that you also need to have somebody who follows you, at the very least follows your instructions. And, I, and I'm curious towards that degree, for for leaders that are followed naturally, in other words, it's, it's not somebody who's being compelled because, well, he's the boss, and, and instead people that say, you know, I recognize something in that person – and I, and I think that following their advice or their direction or being a part of their movement, whatever it might be, is something that would be good and wholesome for me to be a part of. What is it that, that attracts us to good leaders? Excellent. Yes, Craig, that, that is absolutely correct. We, we are attracted to good leaders, and sometimes <laughs> we are also attracted to bad leaders. Indeed. And so that, that distinction is crucial. Uh, the way I like to describe it, uh, Craig, is that leadership is all about building trust. And we build trust with people by our integrity, by our competency, by our ability to, to serve people, to achieve results in an, in an ethical kind of a way. And that process needs to be nurtured. It's, it's a skill development uh, process. You, we all begin with with skills, but the leadership more than anything else needs, and if you look at great leaders, great leaders sometimes take not just years, but decades to develop. This is true. And of course, that, that, that notion, and we've talked about before, the notion of whether it's born or bred, but there is a level of development of skills that, that is quite necessary for that, that spark to turn into a flame, so to speak. And, and it, it's undoubtedly a fault um, of, of the follower who maybe sometimes is incapable of distinguishing good leadership versus bad leadership. And I would suppose that would be defined as a follower who tends to be kind of blind about their way. But that also, I think, says something, too, of the leader. I've often heard it said, maybe you can, you can confirm or deny for us, Michael, that there are a couple of fundamental profiles when it comes to leaders of, of, any, of any creator color, meaning business or in the private sector or uh, in nonprofit sector, and that is the sense of a, a leader that's either a servant leader, meaning putting the good of those that he leads and the organization that he represents and is directing first, or king leaders, meaning those that kind of really enjoy being recognized for who they are. They like that power. I would liken them perhaps to somebody that is not um, perhaps fully honest about who they are or their calling. There may be a degree of, of corruption about them in, in the sense that it's about the power and not about the passion or the people or the organization. And when we talk about these two fundamental different approaches to leadership, what are some of the positive and negatives between servant leaders or what I'll call king leaders? Well, that, that is very true, uh, Craig, and, and sometimes people start out as servant leaders, and they start out with good motives. They start out giving their, their best to people, and then they go astray. And the way I, when I, when I served as president of Toastmasters, I, 
one of my predecessors said to me, he said, you know, just always keep your humility. Don't don't believe your own press clippings. You may, you know, have a great speech. You may open a couple hundred or a couple thousand chapters here. But always remember, you put your belt on the same way every morning. And you're still Michael, the guy, the working class family in Chicago who came to California. And it is a privilege. And I, I think the key on that, Craig, is that we as leaders need to view leadership as a privilege as an opportunity to to serve. Now, you are absolutely right. The kingmaker mentality does come. And and very often it's 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 easy when you're on the top of the mountain to forget what it was like when you're on the bottom of the mountain. And and so we all have an ego, Craig, and I have one too. I I think about it, you, you know, we all have that ego that we have to have to tame and we need people. The key element, I think, on that, Craig, is to have an accountability circle. And that's what I do with all, all leaders. I say, you are not alone, and don't view yourself as alone. You might be hitting your head on the roof, uh, the top of an organization, but you need to be accountable to somebody. Because if you're not accountable, that's a dangerous, dangerous situation for any leader. And not just that lack of accountability, but there's another component here that maybe you can address. And certainly down through the years, I've had the privilege of interviewing a lot of folks that fit in that leader category. Um, Some of the sort of common qualities that I would notice amongst them would be things like belief in their cause, a sense of vision, um, a, a real sense of purpose for their organization. But also, at least in my mind, again, this is Craig's definition here, I see a leader as somebody who also excels in having strong people skills, meaning it's not just the boss at the top barking the orders because he can and he's got the power of the pen to either sign your check or sign your pink slip, but a leader who understands what motivates people, knows how to communicate the message, knows how to develop an organizational feeling where we have a a sense of all coming together and working towards a grander goal, a greater cause, other than just, well, we got to keep the stockholders happy. Speak, if you would, to that issue of how critically important is a good leader to have good people skills. Well, people skills really can define the leader because leadership is all about influencing people, motivating people, inspiring people. When I uh, began in international service in Toastmasters, I still kind of had, I think, an archaic view of, uh, I kind of saw leadership as, oh, coercing people maybe, or giving them instructions and kind of pushing them to follow my instructions. And by the time I was done with my year as international president, I had a very, very different view. I I began to see leadership as as not so much coercing people, but as empowering people, as inspiring people. And in order to to inspire people, you have to know something about them, and you have to learn about what their goals and their aspirations and their dreams are. To get to that point, it takes people skills. It takes good listening skills, good communication skills, uh, to really draw out of people and almost uh, kind of have a sixth sense about what they're really good at and where they really have their passion. And once you have that, once you you get that understanding of what what really moves them, then you have to maintain that connection and build on it. Build to nurture them 
in their own way, in their own time. And very often, uh, organizations will try and dictate what leaders are to do. And, and certainly, leaders need to have some kind of a developmental uh, uh, process. But it needs to be people-sensitive. I say that because when you study great leaders, Craig, they are so different. They are all over the board. They come from all different kinds of skill sets. Some are more autocratic. Some are more service-oriented. Some are more democratic in the way they approach things. Some are highly disciplined. Some are highly sensitive. And so they all have different strong points, and, and the art is learning to leverage those strong points, but also to make allowances for your weaknesses, because all of us as leaders have weaknesses. Visiting today with attorney Michael Notaro. He, as we mentioned earlier, is the former international president of Toastmasters International. He's written this book that we're discussing that really is apropos whether you're a leader in small business, at the corporate level, in your church, your ministry, um, the volunteer organization that you're a part of, understanding what true leadership looks like, how to help to foster greater leadership skills, to take you and your organization to a higher level and then build that lasting legacy. That's the topic of our discussion today. We've got more to talk about when we come back. We'll also talk a bit about the four C's, five C's actually. What are those? We'll tell you as our discussion with attorney Michael Notaro continues. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Michael Notaro, my guest today, he is an attorney in private practice of specifying in the, or specializing rather, in the field of law. A law, of course, an attorney with law, <laughs> in the field of real estate law. And author of a new book called The Call of the Leader. Michael, in our moments that remain, I want to kind of shorthand this, and, and maybe you can kind of walk us through, because I think these are kind of important aspects of, of the makeup of a true and successful leader. I call them the five C's, confidence, competency, being courageous, being able to connect with other people, and I guess that kind of also leads us into the, the fifth C, communicate or communication skills. In your mind, those five C's, how important are they to creating, building a lasting legacy for a leader? They are all important. Craig, and the thing about leadership is that it requires a lot of skills. It requires confidence and competency and courage and the ability to connect and the ability to communicate. And I, I feel like in today's age where we have such a polarized, uh, everything is polarized. Our politics are polarized, uh, business, uh, even our social lives often, that the key element, I think, is that ability to connect with people. That's, that's where leaders really need to start. Um, I often say to people that we're, we're not uh, thinking people who sometimes emote. We're um, emotional people who sometimes think. And what I mean by that is connecting with people is understanding their emotions. Where is a person that a lot of people, Craig, are very depressed and very uh, the pandemic has left them kind of knocked down both spiritually uh, mentally uh, sometimes they've lost their job or or sometimes they've had family members they really need a leader who's going to connect with them and meet them where they're at and give them give them a light give them some vision that inspires them and, and empowers them and so it does begin with communication and connection 
and then it builds from there towards um, you know competency. Uh, certainly, leadership t- requires courage uh, because. You, you, you get into leadership and you've already got people attacking you about something. Uh, so, you know, I, I find that I always found as a leader that loops into everybody. And, and I stayed true to my principles and, and what I believed was right. You, you can't make everybody happy all the time. Uh, but, but you do what's best for, for the largest number of people, serving people. And then building your, your competency. And, and competency, leaders need to constantly be learning and growing and building their skill set. Um, you can never, never relax as a leader because if you do, um, you're, you're, people notice it, right? They notice it right away. And confidence to me, Craig, is, boy, confidence is the byproduct of doing everything right. Uh, when you can serve people with confidence, everybody loves a confident leader. You mentioned something in the context of the challenges of leadership in this current day and age that I want to spend our, our closing moments kind of unpacking. Because in my, in my mind, when you talk about connecting with those that are under your leadership, it seems to me that oftentimes, particularly today, it's a circle that we don't complete. And by that, I mean, I'll give you a case in point. How many times around the office have we said, did did you reach out to such and such a client? Oh, yes, I connected with them. I sent them an email. In our mind, we think we connected with them. Of course, there's there's a little bit of unpacking that needs to be done there, too, because that you sent the email doesn't necessarily mean they've received it. Or if they received it, maybe they didn't read it. Or if they read it, maybe they didn't understand it. So is it important for a leader to understand that that connecting with others, that that that, that communication uh, is critically necessary, that that circle is completed? It's not just that you spoke the words, but that the person received those words, understands those words, is able to process those words, and then put them into action. Is that a big challenge today, particularly with what's going on with technology and the way which we kind of sometimes hide behind the tech? Craig, the biggest challenge we have is so many, especially younger generations, are hooked on text messaging and emailing. And so it's almost as if some of the people won't, won't communicate unless you text or, or email with them. The reality is that over 70% of our communication is nonverbal. So it has to do with our vocal variety, our gestures, our eye contact. And to me, to really connect with people, you've got to look them in the eye, and you've got to understand fully who they are. Now, the reality is, yes, in our current society, we, you know, it's very difficult, especially even now coming out from the pandemic, to be face-to-face with people all the time. I, I, I'm sure you and I have both been to a lot of Zoom meetings. Sometimes I get uh, Zoomed out of all the, uh, you know, uh, just get a little tired staring at the screen, and I, I wish I could have more live uh, connection with, with people. To really understand and motivate people, you need to try and get as close to them as you can. And with all my developing leaders, we spend some time asking for their communication protocols. Do you like, of course, email, uh, telephone? Uh, is it possible to get live with, with people? Sometimes it's not, but that's always the best, Craig. It's always the best to have live communication to connect. Then we're able to really em- empathize. And, and as you said, it's just so critical to have that circle 
of communication to let people know I hear you. And especially now, I understand. I know where you're at. And let them know that the way they feel, the way they think is very important because it is very important to them. And it's shaping us and how we lead. And finally, you alluded to this, but it's a good it's a good final question and note to end on. I, when we talk about that connecting, is it also important in your mind, Michael, for the leader to, um, for want of a better term, kind of come down out of the ivory tower every now and then and connect with people? I, I've had managers down through the years that would kind of walk through the office during the day. There was not an agenda behind it, meaning they're not coming to your office because there's a problem that needs to be solved or a discussion that needs to be had, but just to kind of check in. How are things going? How's the department going? And they've referred to it as management by walking around, that that sense of connecting with people so that they had a greater feel of what was going on within their organization, the successes, the challenges, the, uh, the areas that needed improvement. And I, and I wonder if connecting with people and hearing them, leaders I know oftentimes really get good at communicating in terms of, of putting it out there, but that full circle as we talked earlier, and just to be seen occasionally. You know, I would imagine that the, uh, the workers in a factory plant uh, at uh, Ford, if they saw Henry Ford III walk through the plant occasionally, stop and say hello, pat a couple of guys on the back as they're working on the assembly line, that sense of, of, of showing your humanity, so to speak, I would imagine is an important skill for a leader, especially if you're going to d- develop a, a trust relationship, isn't it? Exactly right, Craig. It's it's important to show your humanity, and it's almost I I should say you know that that point, Craig, is really important because it's a it's an ongoing challenge with with leaders because the reality is there is a status separation. There's there's one person or multiple people who may be defined as the leaders, and those people who are following will almost instantly begin to see them in a adversarial or oppositional uh, kind of a way. And that's why it is, the, it is the talent of the leader to be able to be humble, to keep the cookies on the bottom shelf, to relate to people, to know where people are at, to maintain that connection, and to never be in a situation where people feel like, you know, he doesn't care or she doesn't really care about me or they're just trying to run over me. That's a, that's a critical element, and it's especially important now coming out from the pandemic where so many people are, uh, have their, you know, their wills kind of um, withered. Uh, they, they're, they're feeling their spirits are lagging and they're languishing. And great leaders have this. The last thing, Craig, that I think uh, is, is something that someone asked me the other day about great leaders. What, what makes great leaders? Great leaders are people who make other people great. And making other people great is an art and it's a science, but it's really what makes great leaders. And the book, of course, gives you some great insights to that as well. The Call of the Leader, Michael Notaro, our guest today. More information, by the way, you can find out about Michael's work by going to his website, notarolaw.com. That's N-O-T-A-R-O, notarolaw.com. Michael, it's been a delight to spend some time with you today. Appreciate the insights. And, yeah, as I suspected, he's a pretty smooth speaker. (laughs) Is it any wonder? 547 is the clock and the, the crow flies. Let's get a look at what's going on. And we're back with more as Lifeline continues. 
And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. All right, welcome back to the conversation. We've been reading the stories and reporting on what's been transpiring related to the SCOTUS decision as it comes down to the matter of choice. And we know that aside from the political components, which is involved and complicated and it's sometimes nasty, uh, the important thing is that we never lose sight of the human side of all of this. And the human side means being there for families and individuals that are confronting an unplanned pregnancy and dealing with some very difficult choices and hopefully giving them the kind of support and guidance necessary to make the right kinds of choices. But ultimately, we also understand that to the greatest degree that we can provide education well in advance of an event occurring can be extremely beneficial. And toward that end, uh, you know, parents all struggle with having the birds and the bees conversations, but it's got to be done. And if you've got it. Uh, some insights from from people who understand and can bring about not just the science but the the morality equation of it all the better. Toward that end, our friends over at Real Options are going to be hosting another student summer workshop series. And to learn more, we're joined by Valerie Navarrete, who is the director of education with. Real options, and when we talk about this summer workshop series, give us some insights from your perspective, Valerie. What are the benefits? Why would a parent or a grandparent or or a guardian want to take advantage of these workshops in the first place? What's the benefit? Yeah, um, well, thanks for having me. So, um, to answer your question, I think that parents today uh, recognize that our kids have more things to overcome than ever before. So anyone on the front lines, youth pastors, teachers, community leaders, and parents are all struggling to help our kids bridge the gap between, you know, where they were when the schools closed before COVID and where they should be now. Um, Many students have missed the opportunity to grow in some very crucial ways. So um, we have this great curriculum. It's interactive and trauma-informed. Our summer workshops are specifically going to address topics of self-discovery, boundaries, internet safety, healthy relationship foundations, life mapping, and really just how to cultivate whole person health starting at whatever age they are. And as we talk about putting together curricula that helps students of all ages um, better understand what all is at stake here, uh, elaborate, if you would, a little bit on that, uh, particularly from the standpoint of the benefit that can be had by youth groups, young people, um, church youth groups, things of that sort. I mean, for example, uh, if if a youth pastor is listening to our conversation right now, uh, why would a workshop like this be of benefit to their ministry? Yeah, absolutely. So, um, you know, I just want to start by saying that we serve many youth groups in our community. Um, one that we've been with um, and are currently serving is Pan Devita. Um, they're always eager to have us return. Youth pastors love us. Um, I think that the bottom line is that youth pastors are uniquely positioned to see the influence that the culture has had on our young people. They see it on both the individual basis and how the culture is impacting the group as a whole. Um, So our curriculum offers kids the opportunity to learn skills that will help them on their path to health, 
but also teach them to identify what they need and then how to get those needs met in a way that is healthy and non-damaging. Um, really, we're here to help equip the next generation to navigate this culture in a way that is both empowering to them and honoring to God. Now, this is available during the summer months, as we mentioned. And if folks listening to our conversation right now say, you know, that this could be a neat component to add to our summer outreach, even as here in, in May they start to make plans for things like you know, vacation Bible school and, and things of this sort, what's the best way to get one of these summer workshops set up? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so you can email us at education at realoptions.net. Um, that's probably going to be the quickest way to get a response. I will personally reach out to anybody that's interested in scheduling a workshop. Um, additionally, you know, um, as we're seeing the need in our community for the curriculum, we definitely have seen, um, you know, a demand um, in the very best way. So we are currently um, looking for people that are interested in being employed as contract educators. So if you're listening tonight and you um, you like working with kids, you're passionate about educating, and, and you really have a heart to share something that's counter to what the culture at large is telling our kids, um, I would really encourage you to just come check us out. You can check out the job description at the Friends of Rural Options website. Um, and uh, if you submit an application, I'll be the person to reach out to you. And uh, you can also feel free to email me at that education at realoptions.net if you want some more information or some details. Now, of course, uh, towards that end, uh, as as folks look at this and say, yeah, I, I want to get involved, I see the benefit of this, uh, there's also a need for people to be involved in facilitating, and I would imagine this could be, for the right person, uh, a wonderful opportunity to to help make a difference in the life of a young person. If somebody listening right now says, you know what, Valerie, I, I'd like to be a part of this, how, how can I get involved? What can I do to help? Yeah, definitely. You know, in addition to having um, education positions open, we are always welcome um, volunteers. And so um, for in this capacity, a volunteer would come on board and help us with the classes and um, classroom management and, uh, you know, just hanging out with the kids, handing out prizes, that kind of thing. And then they get to see firsthand at front row of what we're what we're what we're sharing with these students and why it's so impactful. So again, if you are interested in volunteering, you can reach out to that education at realoptions.net um, email address, and we will get back to you. Uh, we have different whatever your volunteering or employment needs look like. We have um, we have a varying schedule. Nights, weekends, days, all over the place. So um, just encourage you to come talk to me. And, of course, you can get more information on the web. Go to friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. There you can get more details about signing your organization up for the Students' Summer Workshop Series and get more details and connect with Valerie to volunteer. Again, online at friendsofrealoptions.net. That's friendsofrealoptions.net. Coming up on 6 o'clock from KFAX, we'll turn a corner, and then we've got our Pastor of the Week, part of our Church of the Week series, with Pastor Albert Macklin, as this edition of Lifeline continues. 
Three-star general, Michael J. Flynn, head of the Pentagon Intelligence Agency, knew all the government's dirty secrets. He was one of the most respected generals in the military. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He understood its funding. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. The explosive new documentary, Flynn, deliver the truth, whatever the cost, and covers the facts behind this scandal. Flynn told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. I find out the worst enemy that I'm going to face in my life is right here in America. They took my assessment and they wanted me to change it. I was like, I'm not changing it. They had to get rid of Flynn. With in-depth interviews, archival footage, and never-before-seen personal record to the man behind the headlines. I just felt like I was drowning. Flynn. Deliver the truth, whatever the cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to salemnow.com. salemnow.com.